Today I'm joined by Las Vegas headlining comedian Matt Kazam. Matt's a guy who spent nearly 30 years, has performed over 6,000 shows in 42 states, 7 countries, and I believe at least one planet. He's also done over a thousand corporate events. We're going to talk about the greatest misconception about humor in business. We're going to talk about joke writing and the science of comedy and the art of storytelling to capture and retain the attention of your ideal customers and improve communication with your teams. You're going to have a blast with Matt Kazam. Matt Kazam, my good friend, welcome to the show. Hello there. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's, uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, happy Friday 13th to you. And it's very eerie that we booked this on this day, but I'm you so know what? excited. We, we, are, we are recording this on Friday the 13th, and um, I've been uh, chewing on garlic. Just to, I don't know if that's what keeps the, you know, the demons away, but, um, but my wife is certainly staying away at this point. You may have created a whole new industry, you know, you know, <laughs> no one's ever thought about using it for that purpose. We've only thought about the vampire who's never going to come. Hey, listen, I want a little time to myself to watch the game. Let me chew on some garlic. Dang, that's what it was. You know what? She was looking <laughs> at me funny. I couldn't understand it. So, Matt, share with our audience something surprising about you that they may not know. Uh, I am 50 years old with a three-year-old uh, because I'm a genius. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm kind of an old dad here and a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of my friends and contemporaries, all their kids are grown, but, uh, uh, it's an interesting, and it, it really is my first job. And so when somebody asks me anything, the first thing I usually think about now is, uh, this little, uh, incredible monster I have at home. But, uh, you know, I didn't really think it through when I realized, you know, there's a reason why people have their kids when they're younger, just so they can keep up. Exactly. Well, you know what? Uh, and and my kids are nineteen and seventeen. Yeah. And um and I long for the day when they were three and they actually listened to me and thought I knew yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah. But you well you know that look like when you when they were like three and four years old and you used to take them to your grand to the grandparents' house. You know the look the grandparents on their face when they give them back. <laughs> I have that look on my face all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I love you it. know, yeah. But uh, you know, it's always the grass is always greener. But uh, it is it is the the best job I've ever had for sure. Sure. So your expertise clearly is in this area of comedy and how it applies to business. So what's the biggest misconception that people have when it comes to humor in business? But with regards to humor, you know, people only think about it in the traditional Hollywood kind of sense, that it's an art form, that it's subjective, that I'm just going to kind of think what I think is funny, I'm going to put out there and hope the audience, you know, decides that they like it too. Um, when it comes to business, you can be a lot more strategic about it um, and not just think about what you think is funny, but try to understand the sense of humor of your audience because, you know, real the power of humor lives in the subconscious. So if you can kind of get to the subconscious, you'll break through to uh, all their hopes, their dreams, their emotions. And that really works really well with branding and marketing and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's really about understanding the sense of humor of the audience and, and how that's going to be constructed to, to, to connect it with these, these feelings and, and these things that are going to now be associated with your brand um, and help them get over, you know, 
whether or not they want to work with you, trust. I always say there's people kind of doing different things out there that'll help your organization gain trust or become more genuine or become more authentic. You know, humor does all of that. So uh, it's, you know, one of the first two uh, languages we speak when we come into this world. And uh, uh, all the power of it lies in empathy. So there's really powerful things that they can use in business that you're trying to accomplish in other ways that may not be as successful. But the stigma is the art form part of it that I'm going to, you know, people laugh for two reasons. They laugh at a commonality, which is where the real power lies, or they laugh at a superiority is where the real danger lies. And it's such a small amount of it. So they throw the baby out with the bathwater, but humor is a real powerful skill. Um, and back when we did a lot more face-to-face marketing, it was really even more important back then. And now that we've kind of gotten to digital and, you know, we know where their eyeballs are going to be and we can kind of target them a little bit better. We've gotten away from it. But, uh, the great news is I'm in this business now kind of rewriting the future of of how humor might be used in business and and let me let me ask you because i'm sure there are people thinking to themselves well that's all good and well but we don't have anybody who's funny so gee if we don't if we weren't born with that funny gene then man you know i I can't speak to my customers i can't speak to my employees and try and use humor And, and let's face it there are some people who we've seen and we think to ourselves that guy should never even try to be funny, at least not intentionally. Sure. So so what do we tell those people? Um, well, the good news is um, – well, there's good and bad news. Uh, there are some people who were born this way, I mean especially in the sales world. I mean there are sales teams where the guy – the only reason he's on that sales team is that the customers like him and he's funny and, th- and that's how he gets the sales and it's very natural for him. Okay, That's the bad news. You've got to compete with the guy who was born that way. But for everybody else, there is science. There is you – know, I've done over 6,000 shows. Shows and a thousand corporate events where they're not necessarily set up, you know, for a comedy show. So I've I've developed kind of the engagement part of this, and it, it, it's not about. Um, their sense of humor. It's about understanding what all what your audience has in common. So if you stop thinking about yourself, which, by the way, we are all funny. We're all born funny. We're all born with the sense of humor. We've been kind of brainwashed into thinking, well, just because Jimmy's better at it and Jim, Jimmy's more uh, outgoing and more engaging than I am, then I must not be funny. But humor is put in us as a, as a defense mechanism, um, it, all it is is the release of nervous tension. So if you find out what we all have in common, say, for example, traffic. That's why if we all talk and complain about you know, how bad the traffic is in D.C., we're all going to laugh because we all have so much nervous anxiety, energy built up inside of us, and humor is the release of that. So everybody is funny. Trust me. I mean if somebody tells you they're not, they're not funny, run because they're about to be you know, the most horrible conversation you've ever had because <laughs> – you know, and I and I do it at my talks. I, I ask the audience, I go, "Who here thinks they're funny?" And literally a third of them will raise their hands. And I'm like, "We're all babies. Are hilarious." Every ba- I've never met a baby who wasn't hilarious. So um, it, it is inside of us and, and understanding that and understanding how you can break through uh, the mindset that we're not funny. We all are funny. It's how we communicate. And if you can understand that, you can communicate with everybody on the planet. Like I've made people – I did a cruise ship one time and right before I went on stage, the lady goes, oh, this is our mostly non-English speaking audience. And I'm like, why did you think comedy was going to be a good idea? <laughs> I don't speak any other languages. Um, but I went up there and kind of just acted out my jokes and they kind of liked me and, and whatever. But I, I realized, you know, 
it, it isn't it's 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 so much deeper than that and which which is where the power lies so um with everyone else there is anatomy of joke writing and that's the problem is everybody all it is is storytelling and storytelling works because it's again something that's rooted in human behavior people hate listening to information but love listening to story what if you can blend the two and the power of humor, like when, when they come to my show, the expectation is they're in the audience. I have to make them laugh. And I still make them laugh. With you guys, they don't even know it's coming. That's where the real power is, is in the surprise. Um, so, uh, so know that there are a lot of things on your side. Know that you have to understand that it's not about you. It's about, about the audience. And know that if you stick within, the, which we will give your audience a tip later on, on joke writing, but if you stick, with, stick within the anatomy and science of joke writing, you can get down to less words. And that's really where storytellers, you know, stories get, uh, get, get destroyed um, because people just put too many words. And they used to tell them to their friends who, who care enough to sit through these boring <laughs> stories. Um, but we can mine for that material and find real impactful, engaging um, uh, connection points. And everybody has these stories. Everybody has things that they can relate. They just don't know how to tell them. And that's kind of what I do. And, and Matt, I've had the good fortune of seeing you present in a business setting as well as in a comedy club. In fact, the last yeah. comedy club I saw you at – they, they had lost power and it was it was comedy by candlelight not even it was like people with their cell phones out yeah. um to to shine a light and you crushed it was amazing where did you get your start in this um in the womb it's crazy uh you know i really <laughs> do go back to the womb um had a ra- father who was a rabid comedy fan and um and uh wh- wh- while my mother was pregnant he used to play old 2000 year old man records for me and and old buddy hackett records and don rickles and and so literally i kind of had the instincts, you know, literally when I came out and by three years old, I was doing shows for my family and friends and kind of like my daughter is to watch her grow up. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, it's exactly what I remember my life doing, making conscious choices. Because what happens with a lot of kids is that they, they do something, they realize people laugh, so they just do it again and do it again and do it again. They're kind of hacky that way. But uh, my daughter is making conscious choices based on the variable because one thing you'll learn later on about humor, and this also gives you people some tips, is that if you learn the science, the effective, powerful, strategic uses of humor become more about math than anything else. It's just about making the best choices once you even understand what to look for. Um, So at three years old, I'm doing that. By six years old, I'm making a living off of it, kind of. I'm performing in little mafia social clubs in New York City. Um, The other kids were like running numbers and stuff. I mean – and uh, bag men and uh, but the mafia guys like keeping me in the office and I would make them laugh and they give me a couple of bucks and um, by at 10 years old my parents take me to Las Vegas I know I want to be a comedian at that age which is you know it, it's really a lot of people don't know I mean you never know but in show business kind of if you have this talent and somebody nurtures it, it it you literally know what you're gonna do for the rest of your life at three years old which is you know an amazing you know uh, the, the state of mind so by 10 years old my parents take me to Vegas I see my first show in Las Vegas Joan Rivers and Shecky Green know that that's what I want to do with my life. I want to become a Las Vegas headliner. And uh, 35 years later, I get my own show in the same room that I saw the show that I did when I was 10 years old. That's two years later, two years later, they blow up the casino. But that's the part of the story you got to block out. <laughs> you gotta, after your last performance there, they said, nothing could be better than that. Let's just take the room it. down. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I was the last headliner to perform there. The first headliner was Elvis. 
Um, so, it, and it was like Vegas history, and I loved it. But the thing is, they didn't blow up the casino to. Um, and trust me, I've been fired a lot before. My comedian friends love this. They were making fun of me. They're like, "Man, you must really have stunk." They, I've been fired before. They never blew the place up. Um, <laughs> But they blew it up to build more convention space, which was interesting to me and kind of my aha moment and how I created They Laugh, You Win because I realized they weren't – Vegas isn't even Vegas anymore. That's what I didn't know. Poor 10-year-old me who wanted Vegas to kind of be the entertainment capital of the world. It's now the convention, trade show, meeting, and conference capital of the world. This is Orlando with gambling. That's all we have here. I mean it's you, – you can definitely make Vegas more than that, but people come here for work. So I, I said, why am I in the ticket selling business trying to get people over here who are here ready for work why don't i just bring my talents to them and uh that that's how the business was born absolutely so let's give our audience some insight into joke writing and some of the science because i think this is where you've got just amazing talent in helping people understand um i guess what makes funny (laughs) yeah no no and i and i've had to i mean i had a necessity i really had to figure out the science one because i had an immigrant father who said, you know, throughout my whole life, I did not come to this country for you to tell joke. Um, you know, um, so he made sure that I was going to figure out the science. Now, one thing about immigrant parents, they want a job that's been around for a while and is going to be around for a while. And entertainment did that. So, but I did have to learn the science. And then once I got into teaching it, um, again, teaching first of all, stand-up comedy to people who didn't really necessarily have any, they were only the funniest ones in their group, which made people think that they could be a comedian. Then you realize, you know, that the, the barometer is much higher and, 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 and the metrics are much different later on. But I learned how to teach it. And also how to get people to make their stories come to life. So the first piece of advice I give people is an ounce of truth is worth more than a pound of lie. So always kind of mind for those stories that are inside of you because at least you'll be leading with the truth. And and that's where I believe now people's attention spans, they don't want to listen to something that isn't true. And we might as well start with that. Then comedy is about exaggeration. So if you start with the truth, I'm not saying that's where it has to end and we can eventually exaggerate it, uh, you know, for comedic effect. But know that, you know, the story itself, the way it happened may not be the best way to tell that story. And there's other ways to kind of, you know, find the right words to get there quicker and, and things like that. Let me interrupt for a second because I want to make sure that sure. people get this because sometimes huh? people misunderstand and such a valuable point, which is – so you start with something that that is entirely truthful. And now Matt's saying, well, so it, it's all about exaggeration. This doesn't mean that if your story is about the results your product or service can have for somebody that you exaggerate that. It's just, you know, if the if the story if if the story has to do with something that your your product or service is doing, you got to you got to maintain integrity there. But if it's sure. if you messed up and and it caused you to, you know, you ate something you shouldn't have, and you rushed to the bathroom. And you were there for for three minutes. That's not as funny as if you say, "Man, I was on the toilet for seven hours." Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's like I say, you know, if a guy, you know, you is leaving in one of these meetings, you're in a meeting, and a guy goes, "Oh, uh, at some point, you knew he had an early flight, maybe six a.m. flight or something yeah. like that." But you know, at some point during the thing, you go, "Listen, I'm going to let you go. I know you got a three a.m. flight. Three a.m. funnier than six a.m." You know, <laughs> so it is only about that. However, um, 
it's, it's an excellent point that you make is that, uh, you know, and this is only one slice of a whole bunch of teachings and, you know, that, that, that are in there. Sure. So but one thing in there is about continuity is that you always kind of want to keep continuity in there. So, you know, your product, your message, all of that has to be the same. It's really just the colorful effect of, of just elevating the, the story by using exaggeration. But exaggeration has to be built. So if you say to them, like, like the joke can end up with you being on the moon, but you can't just go, you know, I was at my office and then I decided I'm going to go to the moon. It's like you have to build that and, and, sure. and eventually get there. So, um, but then you really kind of want to use the formula um, that, that I've developed, which is – which I really developed – from doing long form stand up, which is, you know, some of which is really just storytelling. My show in Vegas, not traditional stand up in terms of just jokey, jokey, joke, joke. I'm actually telling stories and, and, and really connecting with them. Um, so you start off with the setup. What do I need? And get down to as few words as possible. You know, I always tell people wasted motions will kill every single story. So if you had a story, you know, you were trying to write a joke and the joke was about the high prices of food at Whole Foods. So, you know, you started off the joke and you were like, oh, I got up this morning and uh, uh, it was my day off. So I took a shower and I, you know, and then I was just kind of reading the newspaper and then I went to go make breakfast and I opened the refrigerator and I realized we didn't have any food in there. So I got on the, in the car, I got on the highway, I took the five, then I took the 15 and then I got the Whole Foods and I went inside. You could have just started the story right there. You didn't need all that other stuff. So you got to kind of think this stuff through and go, what is the takeaway? You know, what am I trying to – because once you know what the punchline is or the, or the impact statement, as I like to call because the science of this works even just if you're trying to be, be a better communicator. If making a bad sales hire isn't an option and you're tired of sorting through resumes from unqualified applicants, then speak with the folks at Peak Sales Recruiting. They're not like generic recruiters. They find the right talent you need to drive sales in your unique environment. Your only challenge will be deciding which candidate to hire because you'll probably want to hire them all. Visit PeakSalesRecruiting.com slash Ian to learn more. I will tell you that there's a bit that I use in almost every keynote that I give that I worked with Michael and Amy Port on um, mm -hmm. at Heroic Public Speaking, who are just amazing people. and. Yeah. And so I'm delivering this one story for Michael and Amy. And this is a story that historically, I mean, it would just kill. Every time I told it, people would think it was amazing. Michael says, all right, good story. I want to cut this thing at least in half. And the guys who were with me in the program are like, no, no, I've seen him deliver this. It kills. So Michael says, you know what? It's a great story. But it took you 12 minutes. It's not 12 minutes great. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah, says, yeah. but I'll tell you what. It would be five minutes brilliant. And mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I can't take out this bit and I can't take out that bit and you know, trying to defend everything. And eventually I just succumbed and said, All right, I'm gonna trust you on this thing. And now the bit is five minutes and it kills every sure. time. People are on the yeah. edge of their seat. And I can't tell you what the other seven minutes were, but I can tell you they weren't necessary. Absolutely. And then again, Another example of it comes down to math, you know, and there's a there's a kind of a rule in comedy. The longer the setup, the bigger the payoff has to be. Yep. However, you know, so, you know, it, it, but who wants to listen to a 12 minute story? Like like some of this is just logic and common sense. You know, I mean, if you can get the same impact down to six minutes by taking out the wasted motions that are there that I can see and I can train people to see. But, you know, like I said, if you know what you're trying to say. Basically, it's the engagement, then it's the uh, takeaway, and then, you know, the call to action. So, you know, 
what, what few words do I need to put in here to accomplish all of this? Because trust me, the punchlines will punch harder. The impact statements will, will land more powerfully if there's less words that set it up. Um, so I, that's what I do. I set it up the situation. So here's an example of a joke I do. I say, you know, have you seen the toys kids get to play with now? They've got good toys now. Virtual reality, DVD, CD-ROM, computer games. And all they ever do is say they're bored. They don't know what bored is. You spend all day in your room with an Etch-a-Sketch. That's bored. You, know, you spend a rainy day with a light bright. That's bored. You know, like, what a piece of junk this is. I'd rather be in school. Um, so, you know, again, very few words, big impactful jokes. So the setup is, have you seen the toys kids get to play with now? They have good toys now. Describe the situation, you know, uh, DVD, CD-ROM, computer games, and all they ever do is say they're bored. Punchline, they don't know what bored is. You spend all day in your room with an Etch-A-Sketch, that's bored. <laughs> Tagline, because now you've set up all this other stuff, which is, which is when you – I can take a 12-minute story and turn it into a five-minute story basically just by kind of reconstructing it, you know, um, so – and being more efficient about the statement. So, like, you know, once I've set up this whole idea of the toys kids get to play with now, I've got their mind going in that direction. I've unlocked all those beautiful feelings and emotions they had because they basically go back to being a kid when they – we're playing with the Etch-A-Sketch. That's sure. the power of humor is that you get to bring back. Now, if you use the evil parts of humor, you're going to bring back demons and darkness and all that stuff. But, you know, a lot of doctors out there, you know, the surgery doesn't go well. Do you throw all doctors under the bus? You know, it's just because there's a few bad comedians out there. You're, you're, you're ignoring something that's so powerful. So I, after you set it up, you've got the punchline. If you kind of kind of want to continue that thought, um, you, you, you do what's called tagline. So once I've done the punchline, uh, you know, you spend all day in your room with an Etch-A-Sketch. Um, that's bored. Uh, you spend a rainy day with a light bright. That's bored, you know, because I've already got their mind there. We, I get a, a laugh with basically five words, you know. I mean, that's – and understanding that. So – but always kind of look for what I – like I said, what I call the wasted motions. If it doesn't need to be there, it should read funny. Another big problem people have is they write in the paragraph form. First of all, from a memorization standpoint, typing in the computer does you no good whatsoever. There are seven <laughs> memory tracks in the brain, and everyone goes, oh, I can't remember anything. Well, you didn't even hardwire it that well. You know, I mean, handwriting is the most powerful memory track in the brain. If you want to remember something, I would tell everyone, it's how I can remember a 90-minute show. Write it down. Yeah. Also, with stand-up, the science, and I said it's all science, segues, how the material connects will also help you memorize it. Say it out loud. Practice it. Go for a walk and record it and listen to it while you sleep. All of these things are powerful things. But a lot of people write in the paragraph form. You will never see the wasted motions unless you do what I say, which is break out the setup, describe the situation, punchline. I actually, in my teachings, um, break them out into different colors because I actually want their minds to register. Because that's, that's brilliant. Once, we, once we write the story, that's only – we now have to tell the story. And, and not only, just because somebody has these great stories and we eventually find a great way to write them, as you know, being on stage, you know, 50, 60, 70 times a year, you got to perform. Yeah. And that's really how you elevate the word. So, you know, you ever have somebody tell you a story or a joke and then they tell the punchline, they go, oh, that was the punchline. I'm like, it sounded like everything else you said. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, I teach them things like cadence and timing and rhythm sure. and, and, you know, things that, again, 
they're business people. They, 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 these people have MBAs, you know, I mean, I got my PhD in, in standup comedy, you know, out learning from the best 30 years in this business. I tell people, I mean, if you're speaking in front of people, I'm your best first choice because I've thought it through mostly out of necessity because I've done over 6,500 shows. I've only bombed three times. One of those was in West Virginia and I just blame that on West Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) They get blamed for everything. Absolutely. <laughs> there was so I hope that helps. And, and there were thirty there were thirty five people there, one family. Mm. Came yeah, yeah, it came in one truck. Yeah, it was uh it was uh one of the words Bluefield, West Virginia. I will never I would drive around. Um I'll go eight hours out of my way just to drive around West Virginia if I, you know. uh, it was not a good time. Matt and I actually spoke at an event together in the DC area and one of the things that you did that blew me away is it was a series of almost like Ted style talks that we gave and Matt was speaking right after me and Matt came on stage and on the fly right after my talk used my talk, which he had never heard before as an example for the audience to educate on how allegedly humor was used in, in that talk. And it was. It, it absolutely was. And, and it's one of the things I teach people all the time when you're speaking at these events. Watch the speakers that go before you for a couple of reasons. One, they may have the same thought that you have. You know, you, you, you've just, you had this great thing you wanted to say. And somehow, even though the guy wasn't talking about what you're talking about, he had the same thing. So I always do that with comedians. Make sure they didn't talk about the same subject matter. And if they did, when I get to it, I can massage my bit a little bit so that when they first get there, they go, oh, I think the other guy had a toy joke. Is this going to be another toy joke? And while they while they saying that to themselves, they're not listening, which is, you know, they can miss one word and the whole joke be compromised. Sure. But, um, but, but, but also the power of using what somebody else did as an example in your talk, because this is now touching the conscious mind, things that are happening in real time, right in front of them. People like that, you know, it's really, really engaging, but you did such a good job. And I'm not just saying that because you had me on my podcast, the check already cleared. <laughs> um, is that you used it, and that's the thing. I'm not trying to teach people and to teach people how to become stand-up comedians. That's not the thing. Is to all of a sudden, you know, you know, a bunch of knock-knock jokes and things like that. But strategically, you used it in so many of the right places. I mean, you could, if you have an hour talk, you can get away with just five jokes in there. Yeah. But it's almost like Pavlov's dogs. If they're put in there strategically, they, they, they and you reward them along the way, they listen more attentively. There are statistics that say we only remember 10 to 20 percent of of what we hear. In, in any of these, these, these conferences that we go to, if you embed your message with humor, it goes up to 50 or 60%. You did something in there that stayed with me, that I, that's, which was, uh, you know, we talked about before. But I remembered the tip you gave because it was so funny. And it was a real powerful tip that's actually helped my business, um, uh, which is the one about, uh, you know, hey, I'm checking in. And <laughs> you could have told that story a million ways, and I wouldn't have remembered it and remembered the tip. So it, you were a perfect example. And, you know, the universe works that way sometimes. Um, but it really is just about just adding it in enough places. And especially all of these presentations and and every video you it's all about the first 30 seconds or minute it's about body language about you know you have studied this on a level that made you a really good case study for what i was doing you know i uh, i did a talk like three weeks later and i had the guy uh and it was really funny because we had a doctor that was really really interesting but nobody you had to follow the doctor i think did you have to follow i did follow the doctor yes 
So basically, I followed the doctor looked like he was Chris Rock compared to the guy I had to follow at one of these conferences. <laughs> and there was the only way I could use him was, again, to use our superiority part of uh, humor. And I didn't want to throw him under the bus. He was too nice. But uh, uh, you were a great, a great person to follow and, and, a, and a great, like I said, a great case study in, <laughs> in, in, the, in you, the power of using this. And, and, and people shouldn't because you know what? The future of this is, is, is people have no attention spans. So you, if you don't think you have to be funnier, more engaging, more entertaining, you're wrong. And you're going to wind up working out, out, of, out of a closet somewhere if you don't learn how to talk to people, you know, and, uh, and how to make them laugh. You know, I mean, that's, that's a powerful thing. Hey, man, so what's the one thing if, if you got somebody who says, all right, I'm bought into this, this idea of trying to introduce humor. I get the idea that we want to strive for things where we have commonality, not yeah. superiority. Yeah. It's about storytelling and the setup. Where should people start? Because I think the area people get trapped is they think, sure. well, I need a joke. And, and I think one of the things that I notice is that once you're doing the bit, you got to commit to the bit. So the, the part of the story that you were talking about in my talk is – you know, the, the idea of, you know, I do, I do this whole bit on how you shouldn't just be, hey, just call to check in, want to see if you made a decision yet, and how it's like you're a, you're a cardboard sign and a tin cup away from begging. And so the thing is that, you know, if I just said, well, you do that and you're kind of begging for business, it wouldn't be as funny as when you bring in the visual of the tin cup and the, you know, and the cardboard sure. sign. Now people envision somebody begging and it's like, yeah, that's what I look like. So how do people make that leap and apply this in business? Not just um, envisioned a person on the side of the road with a cup and a tin and a, and a cardboard sign. You acted it out. Yeah, absolutely. In stand-up, the act out is is, is, is almost as important as, as the words because you, you're basically, you know, Paint that picture for them, and you did such a great job with that, and it was it was all positioned perfectly. So, what people can do is, first of all, what stories in your life you've made someone laugh with something. There's that Thanksgiving story that the only reason you're not telling it out here is you don't know how to connect it. You don't know how to make that Thanksgiving story. That's a great story in your real life, relatable here. Okay, so you know, but. All you have to do is think a little bit. You know, we all watch these keynotes and the opening. Everyone knows they have to tell kind of tell the story. And some of them, first of all, they know the power of humor is so good. They'll just tell like a fake story that has some joke joke at the end. And they'll be like, oh, none of that was true. I just wanted to make you laugh. And I'm like, screw you. But uh, um, <laughs> like that's not like put some work in here. So, you know, understand that there's some work. But here's what it is. The, the, is practice the jokes or practice the storytelling in non-threatening situations. Go and be strategic about it because what happens is you, you have no confidence in it. And that's what you kind of spoke to that, you know, eventually you have to, you go up there and own this material. And really, sure. if you don't think it's funny, why should anybody else? So the way you build up that confidence is by working that story into conversation at, at a dinner, at lunch, at line at the grocery store is a perfect time. Like, you know what? You're around human beings all the time. You can get a sense of whether or not this material is funny and then you can work on it and that's what happens i'll take a joke and it may take i've worked on some jokes and it was literally months before i got it perfect even working on it every night but that's to get a joke perfect but just to get people to laugh you need to have a natural idea of of of, of and never tell people hey i'm thinking about putting this in my keynote or i'm thinking about <laughs> doing this in my because you never get a real reaction
reaction and your friends yeah. are going to tell you it's funny. And, and I've done that to comics sometimes just to watch them bomb because they were too cocky because they didn't want to listen to me. And they go, hey, do you think this is funny? And I'm like, first of all, I told you never to do it that way. Yes, it's hilarious. Go up there and do it. And it bombs. But what happens <laughs> is now with, <laughs> with my coaching clients, um, I tell them to do this. And then what happens is we get real-time data on the material. You also become empowered that you can do this. So I'm not asking you to write this whole thing and take it to the stage the first time. And that's where we're going to – that's all lab. There's a lab – Life is a lab, you know, and uh, so I find that that's really empowering. But always mind what makes you, again, things that make you embarrassed. I kind of give people a checklist when I talk about things. And it doesn't even have to be now. It could be a story, again, from when you were five years old, ten years old. You have a whole life. You're sure. telling me we can't come up with three stories. And then what, what it is is we got to get them down to where when people ask you, and I always tell people, if you – how you get into the business? And people will answer that however they decide they want to answer it. And it's such a powerful question that that story should be told the same way every single time. Like when you asked me, I go, you know, it was in the womb at three years old. I'm doing shows for family and friends all the way 35 years later. I get to show at the Riviera. They blow it up. I tell that story the same way every single time. Sure. I know it's impactful. I know it's funny. I know it's got the right amount of work. So I think eventually you, you build up all these clubs in the bag, same way you do with the cup and the cardboard sign joke. You tell it the same way every single time. Oh, yeah. But you didn't start off that way. No. You know, you started off with the idea and you worked on it. So, you know, I wish I had a magic wand like any of these, uh, you know, uh, in the learning and development space. Uh, you know, you're not going to get this through osmosis. You're going to have to go out there and do it, but know that it is inside of you. Um, I was, one of the big things I do with the public speaking thing is go that, you know, this is how we used to communicate with people. The fact that it's your most common fear is ridiculous because we – We've built that up in ourselves. We didn't have that fear in the first place. So uh, understand that it's inside you and mine for it in your truth and look for the stories that, that make us human. You know, um, what do we all have in common? Parenting, you know, uh, life. Stay away from politics. If I tell you anything, I don't even use the word president, even if I'm not yeah. talking about the president of the United States, because it's such a toxic word. So exactly. um, and it's going to divide your audience. Yeah, so, exactly. And, you know what? It's brilliant seven it's funny because yeah. that bit that i use that that you remembered it took me probably 20 times telling that story to realize that the real joke and the real humor and the part that made people laugh the most was not the place where i thought it was but it was someplace else and i was emphasizing the wrong area of it and telling it enough all of a sudden i was like huh People tend to laugh more at this part than in that part, and that's yeah. something that was really insightful. So, Matt, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing and connect with you online? Uh, they uh, see me on the side of the road. I'll be holding a cup and a cardboard <laughs> sign. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, then go to this is my website, theylaughyouwin.com. Uh, um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Matt Kazam. And, uh, um, yeah, and then, like I said, if anybody has specific little questions here from, from our talk here, I'm always happy to meet new people and, and, and answer questions. Uh, uh, but, you know, there are other programs. I have a bunch of training programs. Uh, I have a keynote uh, as well as, you know, this is really becoming exciting because how this relates to – corporate culture because you can use humor really powerful just to speak um, outside of the organization but internally you know to communicate with ourselves and and actually you know 
<clears throat> be joyful at work and you know be able to tell our stories to each other and connect with each other each other you know so this works for leadership it works for sales it works for public speaking uh tons of stuff there on the website i, I look great. forward to uh to connecting with your audience you know what and we'll have that all in the show notes so matt always a pleasure to hang out with you my friend every time i think through a joke i'm always thinking through some of the things that you've taught and some of the things I've observed with you. And if you have an opportunity to have Matt come speak to your organization or to see him perform somewhere and you think, well, it's kind of an inconvenient location, just go because you'll be glad that you did. So, Matt, yeah, always a pleasure, you're a man. You're a gentleman, man. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply from Matt right away. First, remember, the idea about being funny doesn't mean that you're turning yourself into a stand-up comic. It just means injecting a little bit of humor into day-to-day business that can get people to smile, release those endorphins, and get them to better listen to what you have to say. The science of comedy, remember, I love this quote, an ounce of truth is greater than a pound of lies. So you can exaggerate a little bit, but with integrity, if it contributes to your story, but doesn't hide the truth. And finally, you want to do your setup and storytelling with as few words as possible. And efficiency becomes the power to that level of communication. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show or a topic I should cover, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.